Welcome to the Edge Podcast by MGR with your host, David Gill. Hey guys, David Gill here bringing you the Edge Podcast. Hope you guys are having a great day. So quick preface before I get into this. Um, so what inspired me to talk about airplanes today is that I read okay, so I read an article about China working on a plane that could fly you anywhere internationally in about two hours, roughly two hours. Um, and the plane is still super early on in development, and it was just a wind tunnel test. I very highly doubt it was a full size plane. I'm sure it was. I didn't. I didn't. I don't remember if it was a full size plane. I don't think it was. I doubt it. Um, but the plane they did create, or the model they did create, did really well on those tests. And hopefully they are able to create a real passenger plane that can fly people that fast internationally in two hours. I'll leave the the link in the description so you can read the article if you want. Um, but this made me want to talk about, you know, a subject that I'm personally fascinated with. That's and and that is as the title suggests, how really or why really the airplane industry has not improved planes in 60 years as far as speed goes. Planes are not faster. In fact, a lot of them are slower than they used to be. It's pretty strange that nothing new has come about in a business that's used by almost everyone in the developed world. And, you know, I just want to talk about it. It's like, why? Why would that happen? And, uh, well, I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to tell you how situations like this come about where innovation pretty much halts. So let's get into it. You ain't got no money. I ain't got no time. All these faces looking funny when I'm driving by. So the real answer is yes, there has been lots of innovation on airplanes, just not innovation that necessarily benefits the customer a whole lot. But before I talk about that, let me explain how this industry works, just so we kind of understand the business model here. A little background, right? So airplane makers like Boeing or Airbus, whichever, you know, there's more than that, but uh they build new planes based on the demand and purchase orders that they get from airlines. And airline companies are in fierce competition with each other in a service that, it, for the most part, it's the same. Whether you fly American or United or Delta, You know, they all use the same or very similar planes to get you from point A to point B. You're flying in a metal tube from point A to point B. Now, some of them might have better amenities, better, you know, wider seats, more comfortable, better TVs, whatever. But for the most part, they all do pretty much the same thing, which means it's a very commoditized business, which inevitably leads to a price war. Commodities are always price wars because even if you hate United Airlines and hate their service, if their ticket to New York is $300 and Delta's cost $400, well, you're going to choose United and just put up with the bad service to save the 100 bucks. Because at the end of the day, the difference in customer service for most people is not that huge for them to spend an extra $100 on a ticket. So that's why it really is a price war, which means no matter how much better, like I said, the in-flight experience is, most people are just going to end up choosing the cheapest option. And price wars, in, or I should say in price wars, profit margins are always the first victim. So when you pay a ticket for $200, 
the airline, this is broad, not exact, but the airline on average is only getting about 10 to $20 of that $200 ticket most of the time. Pre-tax, by the way. So that means in the end, when you think about it, when you're paying $200 for a ticket, that airline might only end up getting about 7 or $8 of that. That's pretty cutthroat. And therein lies one of the major reasons planes haven't gotten faster. Because so far, every time someone's made a newer, faster plane, it costs more to fly it. And when air travel is a price war, airlines are not going to want to buy those planes, which means companies like Boeing and Airbus and whoever are not going to make those planes because they know their customers don't demand them. And there is, you know, there's another thought as well, right? How has no one figured out how to make a plane that's faster but costs the same to fly? It's been 50 years. But one of the other major advantages that these airlines and airplane makers have is that you need a lot of money to get into their line of business. Real quick, let's talk about the innovation that has happened. So fuel efficiency has gotten better. The They use less fuel, which means they save, save money. The planes need less repair. Before, you know, 30 years ago, the planes, I don't know the exact numbers, but I know that Every time, uh, every after every couple flights, a plane would have to be, you know, docked somewhere and have a bunch of engineers go and mechanics inspect the plane, make sure everything's right. But now the planes last a lot longer, so you can spend less money on labor to fix the planes and parts and etc. So the plane and the lifespan of the planes is longer too. So they've gotten better. It's just that they haven't gotten faster because that has not been a priority. And so now I'm going to talk about the other major thing like i said you need a lot of money to get into the airplane airplane designing and building business to design and create a new plane you have to put it through rigorous safety tests that also abide by all federal regulation and you know redesigning and reiterating a a, a plane for years to like i mean you're it's going to take you years to create a new plane that can fly faster for the same price or a very similar price and something like that a project like that would cost hundreds of millions of dollars just look at i'm going to give you an example elon musk everyone knows elon musk and spacex right for those of you who don't know he spent almost his entire 300 million dollar fortune starting spacex and he was one failed launch away his first two launches failed his third one didn't he got government funding after that because he proved that he could get a ship into space blah 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 uh if you don't know the whole story you know google it but you know note one 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 footnote here he was already incredibly rich when he started, so he didn't have to go out there and raise millions from investors initially, which would have been nearly impossible to do at the time because, you know, a business like this, airplanes, building airplanes, thinking that you're going to come with some new crazy design that's going to be so much better is, you know, you have a very high chance of failure and ridiculous upfront costs because if you wanted to create a new aer airplane company, you would have to raise at least, at least $100 million or more before you would even have a working product, before you even have any semblage of a plane, okay? That's a very tough 
proposition for most people. Not to mention that to create a new plane, you will need to be able to convince some of the best and brightest aerospace engineers out there to forfeit their comfy, pretty much guaranteed six-figure paychecks because they are so smart and they are so good that they can pretty much go to any, like I said, Boeing, whoever, and go make 200 grand a year. And you're going to need to convince those guys to say, no, I don't want to work at Boeing. I want to come work for your startup and work twice the hours for half the pay. That is not easy. So I'm, I hope you're kind of getting why there's so many barriers, why these planes haven't gotten faster. Now, with all that said, I'm not saying it's impossible. It's definitely not impossible. What I just described really, you know, it kind of, as I'm saying, it sounds like a your classic like visionary startup founder story. It's just the odds of success are so low and the risk is so high that few have even tried. And because the odds of succeeding are so low, no one has actually accomplished this feat. So if the odds of succeeding in this are one in 10,000, but only, you know, say 400 people have actually gone after it and tried it, well, the odds are just against that group succeed, someone in that group succeeding. So we just need more and more people to keep trying. And and you know what? There actually are a few companies out there that are trying. Obviously, there's you know ch this Chinese group that's trying it, but there's also a I believe a company in Denver that it, I think they're called Boom. Search Boom Airplane. You'll find it. Um, that they're trying it. I I've I had known about them for probably about a year now, but I. This is like a a, a side like, uh, I guess you could say passion. Not really passion. I just I think it's 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 fascinating to me that we haven't built faster planes by now in fifty years. And like I said though, it's it's really an economics problem, not an innovation problem. Because there has been innovation in like I said in fuel consumption, lifespan of the planes, amount of repairs needed. The planes last longer and use less fuel. It's just that they're not getting faster because there's no incentive for these airline companies or the airplane makers to make them faster because they just want cheap flights. That's all they want because they're in a price war, like I said. And hey, maybe this Chinese company will succeed because they are funded by the Chinese government, which, as I said, that kind of you know, that kind of solves your funding problem right there, having the Chinese government back you. So it's really a matter of are they able to figure it out? Just because you have the backing doesn't mean that you're actually going to be able to figure it out. You still have to, like I said, recruit some of the smartest people in the world, probably be pretty knowledgeable about aerospace engineering yourself, and somehow figure it out. I don't know. But hey, if someone out there listening right now gets inspired by this and decides to go for it, then I wish you the best of luck. And hey, I'll give you a free shout out for your uh, airplane on this podcast. But anyways, that was a quick little, uh, I guess, mix up a little economics lesson instead in the mix of all of the uh, normal strategies that we give just a little economics lesson. You know, I thought it was a little fun light. Anyways, let's get into the news. It's time for the news. All right, so the main news story of the day is Magic Leap, the augmented reality company working with the NBA that I talked about last week, just raised another $461 million. That makes it a total of $2.3 billion raised. 
without a dime of revenue. Not profits. No, no, no. They haven't made any money. They have zero income. You know, they seem to have awesome tech and a lot of smart people investing in it. But still, they've been given $2.3 billion when they haven't actually made a penny. That's the type of business that, uh, you know what, they got to teach me how to do that. But, you know, they... uh, Listen, I I really am rooting for them because I think their technology is great. I've seen some basic demos, but obviously not a whole lot because they're very secretive. But, you know, they have no brand in consumer electronics because, like I said, like they're very secretive. They make you sign an NDA before you can even step foot in their offices. And they haven't actually created a product yet that would be able to sell to the masses. And the only product that they're coming out with is going to cost like $2,000. And very few people are going to be willing to buy that unless you're very affluent and also very into tech. You're not going to be wanting to buy a $2,000 pair of glasses that's just like... Anyways, I mean, people weren't willing, a lot of people weren't willing to pay $1,000 for an iPhone 10. so I very much doubt people are going to be willing to pay $2,000 for a pair of glasses. Like I said, I think the company is doing a lot of cool stuff, but these investors betting on Magic Leap, they're betting on them to be the next $50 to $100 billion company. I mean, that's... That's a big bet on a company that, like I said, hasn't actually proven itself, that hasn't actually proven that they can really make money yet. Like, yeah, they have some partnerships and whatever, but I don't know. I mean, mean, listen, I I I think they're making cool stuff, but man, I mean, I don't know. Betting at a $6 billion valuation when they haven't made money, that's a steep, that's a big gamble. But you know what? Hey, it's not their money. Or I'm sorry, it's not my money, it's theirs. So it's up to them. But big gambles, big bets here. Maybe we're in a bubble. Maybe things like this show that we are definitely in a bubble. But honestly, best of luck to them. I really hope they do succeed because if they do and they're able to bring down the prices in those in those goggles, I think that it would be awesome. And this is kind of a preview to our video that's coming out on Friday, this Friday, all about augmented reality glasses. So be sure to subscribe to our YouTube. The link is in the description. Anyways, guys, thank you for listening. Hey guys, David here. I just wanted to personally thank you for listening to this podcast today. I really hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, it would mean the world to me. It would mean the world to us if you could leave us a positive review on iTunes or wherever you consume your podcasts. It just means a lot to us. We're new. We're just getting started. So if you could help us out, that would be great. And also, we have been putting up some fire content on Instagram and on YouTube. So if you are not already following us or subscribed on Instagram and YouTube, then go to the show notes, click those links, and follow us there. We are posting content daily, so be sure to check it out. Anyways, guys, thank you for listening, and I will see you next time.